And so that really got me thinking, you know, orange chicken is not necessarily my favorite dish, but it always hits for me. And I have no shame in in eating it because I have no shame in any part of of my Asian or Asian American identity, Filipino American identity. Um, and I don't think anyone should, right? The idea of someone, especially someone who isn't from your background, trying to make you feel like you are not the right type of person, not the right type of Asian, right? The, the concept that there is like a true form or a pure form that you have to adhere to, I think is super, super toxic and super not helpful. Welcome to Proudly Asian, a podcast series that tells bold and proud stories of Asians by Asians. My name is Isabel, your podcast host, and I'm here to find stories that challenge biases we all face every day. There's never just one way to look at Asians. This podcast will take you through a deep dive into the life stories, struggles, and triumphs of young Asians around the world. On today's episode, we have Super Smack, a Filipino-American pop rap artist based in Phoenix, Arizona. His mission is to spread love, dreams, and confidence with his cheeky lyrics and groovy beats. He joins us to talk about his music career, upcoming album, and how he created a song about orange chicken. Welcome back to Proudly Asian. For this edition, we are taking you all with us to Phoenix, where we chat with pop rapper Super Smack. And without further ado, let's bring him in. Hello, Super Smack. How are you? Hello, Proudly Asian podcast. I'm excited <laughs> to be here. I'm doing great. Amazing. And you're currently joining us out of your studio in Phoenix, Arizona, right? Phoenix, Arizona, that's right. Yeah, how's the weather there? Is it still hot? Is the heat wave still going on? You know, if you had asked me a week ago, I would have told you uh, the weather's cooling down and uh, I'm excited to you know, start spending more time outside. Uh, but then it heated up again this week. Uh, so we are Oof. in like high, we're well over 100 Fahrenheit. Oof. I'm not sure what that is, Celsius. But uh, it is excellent night swimming weather i'll say that <laughs> so i just wait till the sun goes down go outside hop in the pool and it's uh it's pretty good there's at least an upside to it yeah <laughs> anyway. you gotta find some ways to beat the heat you know exactly and i'm so glad that we are able to make this chat happen as i know it's going to be a very busy period for you soon but before we get started with all the conversation about your upcoming plans, releases, music, um, to let our listeners know a little bit more about you, why don't we start with a question that we ask all of our guests on Proudly Asian, which is, tell us a bit about your background. Who are you? What are you? And where did you grow up? All right. Uh, hey, everybody. Uh, I'm Super Smack. I'm a pop rap artist based out of Phoenix, Arizona and Los Angeles, California. I am a Filipino-American. My parents came to the U.S. in the 80s, uh, moved from Manila to Phoenix, Arizona, which uh, 
at the time was was definitely still a smaller city uh, and has grown a lot over the last few years. I love making pop music especially, but I also love creating all sorts of pieces of art. So I'm also an actor. I, before I became a recording artist, I had two years where all I was doing was acting in musical theater, so like off-Broadway style shows when I was living in New York City. And before that, I had a few years where I was, or several years actually, where I worked in civic tech. So I created technology apps to help civic and uh, public sector causes. So I've always been like a creative, uh, whatever the medium right now, the medium is music. And I've kind of fallen in love with that. And I don't think I'm ever going to stop making music now that I've, that I've started. That's like the, the, the big main love that I've found, but I also really appreciate, you know, creativity in all of its forms. So I know that that's a big thing here on Propagation and so I'm excited to be here. Yeah, we're excited to have you too. And as our listeners later on get to listen to some of your songs, they will realize very quickly that you're very good at making music as well. But just going back to the point of you growing up in Phoenix, I mean, obviously compared to California, there might be a smaller Asian community in Phoenix. Is that right? Like, were there many Asians or were you most of the time the only Asian around growing up? Yeah, I mean, so I've lived in California for seven years and New York City for eight years and DC for seven years. So I think compared to especially the coastal cities, uh, Phoenix doesn't feel like it has like they, the Asian Americans in Phoenix aren't as kind of dominant of, of a presence, uh, but there is it is growing a lot, um, and there is a lot of growth. There's like a new, I think like some cities have, like unfortunately like shrinking Chinatowns and uh, those types of Asian communities, uh, but in Phoenix like the Asian districts actually growing because um, I think there's a lot of Asians actually moving from other cities that are getting pushed out from places like California or even the Midwest and they're, they're coming to the wild West <laughs> and kind of settling down out here in the desert um, and then finding their peoples. Uh, so that's pretty cool to see growing up. Uh, I, I didn't even grow up like in the main part of Phoenix. I grew up kind of on the outskirts, uh, basically in uh, what was at the time, uh, a bunch of farms, uh, a place called Gilbert, a bunch of farms, mostly like Mormon community. So uh, there were like a couple of other Asians, mostly Filipinos, like the Asians that were here were mostly Filipinos, actually. Uh, but it definitely was um, it definitely was in school. I think I was the only or one of the only uh, Asian kids in my grade. And was it more or less a positive experience or were you made fun of or bullied? Like, how was it for you? Yeah, I, I think um I would say that I had a, a good experience in childhood growing up here. I had like a good group of friends. Uh, looking back, actually, it's like a really diverse group of friends. Maybe we banded together because we were racially diverse. I don't know, but it was like, it was like, it was like me, the Filipino kid, and like a black kid, and like a Pakistani kid, and like a Mormon kid. And uh, it was like a, this little Power Rangers assembly of like. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that was cool. They they were they were they were good. I did get bullied when I was in elementary school, and I never felt, at least at the time, I never felt like I was bullied because I was Asian. Uh, 
but I was definitely bullied because I was small. I was, de- I was like the shortest kid in grade. I was born in August. So like the age cutoff was like right before. So I was the youngest person in my grade too. Um, so I don't know. A lot of Asians are short too. So maybe if you correlate that, it was like, oh, I was bullied because I was small and Asian. Um, so I think about that now looking back and I'm like, I don't know. Was there, was there like a racial thing to that too? You know, if I had been like the shortest kid in the grade, but like the shortest, like white kid, uh, would I've still gotten bullied? Mm. And I don't really know. Um, you know, you just kind of remember what it feels like in, in the moment. Yeah. So, I mean, from what you just said, the Asian identity wasn't really something that really stood out to you. But I'm just also wondering if you ever got a chance to maybe like spend time with, let's say, Filipinos who grew up in the Philippines. And how is that experience maybe different or similar? Like, does it remind you a little bit more about your identity as Filipino American? Oh, yeah. No, I definitely grew up very connected to my Filipino identity. Um, so, And I feel very fortunate for that because I, I have some friends who uh, didn't get to grow up as connected to that identity. And a big part of that was a big part of that was having my extended family also in the US. Um, so I had a lot of cousins that were in Nevada or in California, or even like we would travel up sometimes to Vancouver. Um, and I'm really close with my cousins and I got to grow up spending a lot of time with them. And uh, that was like really like the main place where I got to uh, experience Filipino culture. And uh, and that's mainly in the form of food and family. That's amazing. And now we're going to talk a little bit more about how you get started with pursuing a music career. As you mentioned earlier during the introduction, like you've been in different professions, but how did you arrive at the point where you knew this is something that you wanted to pursue? So, like I said, I've always been, my mind has always been making up things ever since I was a little kid. Uh, so, like, I would always love playing with Legos and throwing out the instructions and making my own creations and making my own stories around those creations. I always loved, like, storytelling. Um, I grew up on video games, comics, Saturday morning cartoons, you know, like Eddie uh uh you know good old american youth and so i just grew up fascinated by these these fictional worlds that people were creating that's really kind of where i found a lot of of joy and inspiration growing up and fast forwarding into the future when i grew up and i, I wanted to start being a part of those stories and telling those stories. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, the first kind of artistic step that I took was to become an actor. I'm a musical theater actor. So I done musical theater as a kid and singing, dancing, acting, um, as long as I can remember. And I always loved musicals. Uh, my parents actually, we didn't really listen to pop music growing up. We just listened to Broadway soundtracks, Lame is a Rob and, Miss Saigon and Dear Good Man Charlie Brown and the Beauty and the Beast stage adaptation. Um, so I wanted to be a part of that. And I found uh, at least when, when this was in the 2010s and when I was trying to break into that industry at the highest levels, that the types of roles being offered for people, there's this, 
this concept of typing. It's like, what type are you? Like, oh, I am a like uh, like a casting director might kind of classify you in their head as like, oh, you're a an ensemble type. So you're like a, a dancer, background dancer type, or you're a quirky supporting character type, or you're a leading man type, or you're a leading lady type. Um, and that concept of typing, I think, really was, I really struggled with that because what I look like to a lot of the casting directors at the time was not necessarily what I really, what really gave me a lot of fulfillment. And that was, uh, you know, roles written for Asians and Asian Americans, uh, first off, are very few and far between. It's growing and it's improving now, but it still has a long, 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 long way to go in the musical theater and Broadway community. Um, and then you couple that with things like body type and, um, like I look, people tell me that I, I look very young. I'm in my thirties now. Um, and so like looking young is like, oh, I would often get cast as like really young roles, which, uh, is kind of limiting in terms of like when you're trying to grow, right. As, as, as an actor, as a performer. Um, so I think I felt limited by that. And, that, and in some ways, even the, as much as I loved being in musical theater and I love the art form of musicals, the industry, musical theater, you know, with a capital M and a capital T, that industry felt a lot like, uh, uh, a Lego instruction booklet that wasn't very fun. <laughs> so I started writing and that was kind of like my form of throwing out the booklet. And uh, I was lucky to find some peers and some mentors who really supported me on my writing journey. And uh, I found that I was pretty good at it. So I'll admit when there's things that I'm bad at, there's a lot of things I'm really bad at. Uh, <laughs> writing was one of the things that I was like, whoa, I'm actually kind of good at this. Especially for not, like, I didn't major in creative writing. I majored in in international relations, right? And, like, like minored in computer science. Uh, and so that was really cool to be, like, in my mid-late 20s and finding something that I felt really naturally good at and, and having a lot of fun with. And most importantly, like, I got to be in control of it. So I started writing music and eventually started creating a whole world and a character, which eventually became my current Super Smack project. So I launched that in 2018. Uh, this year is my five-year anniversary of starting this uh, original music and songwriting journey. And uh, it's just been a total joy. Amazing. Wow. I mean, what a story. And I definitely hear you when it comes to that whole casting experience. Um, I mean, unfortunately, that's really just a the nature of the industry like most people would find it a little bit humiliating when they try for some roles and then they just get shot down in the way of like oh you don't look like it you just don't feel like one or something like that but it's so nice that you pivoted and find like a new channel to express your creativity your emotions and also your lived experience so just out of curiosity so far your musical project it goes by the name of super smack how did you come up with that name yeah, I wanted something 
big and loud and like undeniable. So I love the the pairing of super, you know, obviously superheroes and that kind of iconography is something that that really resonates with me ever since I was a little kid. Um and also the idea of like being a force for good, right? So like I don't I make this music definitely for myself and for my own self-expression. Uh, but I also make it to reach people and to find people who resonate with, with the same types of messages, whether that's talking about love or dreams or confidence. And, uh, that is, I think like the idea of being an artist also like in service for others is something that, uh, is, is very motivating, um, motivating for me. Mm -hmm. And then the smack was, uh, the idea of this just really loud sound, <laughs> uh, I think, was something that that I was really, really excited to to lean into in in my artistic persona. Um, and I'm a big Nintendo fan, so like the association with like Super Smash is like something I don't mind at all. <laughs> That's a really nice reference. And so far, how many musical instruments do you play? Zero. <laughs> I can pluck around on the piano on the keyboard, so um, I know my way around a keyboard, but I definitely would not say that I am a piano player or a keyboard player. Wow. Uh, I play my voice, my vocal instrument, so that's one if you count that one. And then uh, I dance, so I've always been a dancer since growing up, very comfortable with movement and comfortable in my body. So um, if you count that as an instrument, then that's two. But in terms of traditional instruments, no, but I was always just... A, uh, a singer and dancer. And now I do some production as well, um, digital production for, for music. I mean, in a way, it's just like your musical pursuit is breaking a lot of stereotypes. I mean, anything could be an instrument these days, as long as you are creative enough to include them. So before we talk about some of the songs that you wrote, can you walk us through your normal creative process? Like when you have an idea to create a song, what's the process like for you? And where do you normally draw that inspiration? There's generally like two types of songs that I write. And I didn't, I didn't start super smack being like, I'm going to write these like two kinds of songs, but I've just like, now that I've been doing it for five years, I've been able to like look over, I was listening to some of my older stuff the other day and I was thinking, I was like, oh, I feel like all this stuff kind of like falls in two categories. So one, the first type of song that I, that I started to write is like the narrative song or the, the essay song. <laughs> and that's like a song that has like a clear story or thesis yeah it's almost like writing like a college paper um so i have one song called crazy rich freestyle that is about my experience watching crazy rich asians and all the mixed feelings of uh anticipation and nervousness of like seeing this type of representation on screen for the first time um i combined with the you know excitement of uh, and and imagining uh what future possibilities that could open and also the satisfaction of like giving like a big middle finger to all the people in the industry that didn't believe that um stories that were asian centered could be uh artistically or commercially successful right and so that is like if you ask me to write a college essay about that song or about that experience it, it would be that song. 
Um, so that those types of, of songs have a lot of like thought and, and structure into them. And, uh, the narrative part of it, right? Like telling us stories on the first line is like, I walk up to the Cineplex and I feel like I got a flex because it's opening day of the crazy rich A. And I think that narrative aspect is something that number one, hip hop and rap is really well suited to uh, that type of storytelling. I think better than you could, you could say better than any other genre of, of music. And number two is very comfortable for me because of my theater background playing characters in a story is something that, that I'm very comfortable with. The second category of songs that I write is, oh, sorry, and for that first category, I usually start with like, what are the points that I want to cover? And then I kind of convert that into uh, something that sounds entertaining when, when sung or when rapped, right? The second category is they're more feeling type songs. And it's more just like being inspired or triggered by a particular emotion or a particular state that I'm in at that time and just letting those like words kind of like flow out. And that is, I think the type of songwriting that maybe most people are more familiar with for me was very, very, uh, was initially very foreign to me. Um, cause like I said, I didn't grow up as like a songwriter. Um, but that was something that I really challenged myself to grow in. And I've been writing more and more of those types of songs. If you listen to my discography from you know, chronological order, you'll start to hear more and more of those. And this current album that I'm working on, uh, my debut album, which, which is coming out in October called Booty and the Brain, is, is very, very much a feeling type album. There's some narrative songs on there as well, but it's definitely about like, what are these feelings and how can I represent these not just in terms of a story that I'm telling, but a sound that I'm conveying, a mood and a vibe. And I think that's very powerful because that can be universal and accessible in ways that a theatrical or narrative piece um, is not as well suited to. Um, so I'm, I'm, I've been really excited about that. It's been, it's been a challenge because it requires a lot of like emotional self-awareness. <laughs> And like a lot of like talking about things that I hadn't talked about in the first four years or three or three years of me making music. Um, but it, it's been incredibly uh, satisfying and I'm, I'm pretty happy with the result. Our listeners will soon be able to take a preview of some of the amazing songs that are on the way. But one of the songs that I do want to ask you about, it really stood out to me because I'm a big fan of that dish, which um, you wrote a song about your love for orange chicken, which for our listeners' information, it's a popular American Chinese dish that's purely an American invention, nothing Chinese. But before we talk about this song, why don't we take a listen at that? All right. In the land of Asia, people made food, it was really good. Dang, history happened, and centuries later, that food got shook. But that food's still good, tastes a little bit like all things do. Here in America, now my diaspora, what's a nation American to do? Do I be a purist and simply askew any food that my ancestors wouldn't approve? Pretend like I'm not a walk and talk about the contradictions and take a journey with your youth. No, man, screw that, I'm a running, I'm feeling free, and I love it, I'm a like what I like, I'm a want what I want, and I get what I got, cause I want it. Myself. I'm a to myself. I'm a to myself. I'm a 
Tune. It's kind of hard for anyone who listens for the first time to not like it. So when I first came across your song, I was just like, wow, this is growing on me. And then I eventually listened to it on rotation and something like that. So I'm so curious about why you decided to write a song about Orange Chicken. Yeah. So uh, in 2019, I was on my first tour. I was touring with an artist. Uh, the name is Lex, the Lexicon artist. They're Taiwanese-American, um, based out of Bay, also New York City. And we were uh, we're driving from city to city. We did 16 cities in three weeks. It's a ton of driving. Uh, we were on the road a lot, and so we uh, we had to get food, you know, quick on the, on the, on the road a lot. And uh, um, we would get tired of going to, like, you know, regular fast food places and stuff. Um, but we both bonded over the fact that we... Loved Panda Express. <laughs> love Panda. We love Panda Express. Uh, we both like agreed and acknowledged that it was like not quote unquote authentic traditional Chinese or Asian food. Uh, but it's 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 American Chinese, and both of us were like, you know, had had kind of embraced that side of ourselves, uh, the quote unquote bad Asian side of ourselves, um, which is not really bad at all, right? Because the diaspora, this is the nature of being part of a diaspora, right? Is like all the different branches from the tree that grow out. Um, so we would go and we get, we would get Panda Express a lot. That was kind of like what fueled, <laughs> what fueled us on tour. And then I had an experience shortly after where I was talking to um, a well-meaning white guy. <laughs> and and uh, I mentioned Panda Express and, uh, he just went into this whole thing about like, oh, how could you eat there? It's like fake Asian food. And like, don't you know? And I was like, uh, 
Yeah, I kind of know, dude. Like, oh, this is kind of like my whole life. Um, not to mention, like, my art that I like, write about. So, like, yes, I know about this. Um, and so that really got me, you know, thinking, you know, orange chicken is not necessarily my favorite dish, but it always hits for me. And I have no shame in, in eating it because I have no shame in any part of of my Asian or Asian American identity, Filipino American identity. Um, and I don't think anyone should, right? The idea of someone, especially someone who isn't from your background, uh, trying to make you feel like you are not the right type of person, not the right type of Asian, right? The, the concept that there is like a true form or a pure form that you have to adhere to. I think is super, super toxic and super not helpful. Um, and so I just kind of ended up bonding <laughs> with, with the idea of orange chicken and kind of embracing that as almost like a, like a symbol for self acceptance and, and embracing these different aspects of yourself, right? That other people might think are contradictory or that other people might like raise an eyebrow at. I'm like the more that people like raise an eyebrow at it, the more you shouldn't lean into that and be like, nah, this is me. Like, take it or leave it. <laughs> and so that's what the song is about. You know, it's the, the hook is, I eat my orange chicken without a hint of shame. This chicken's so dang tangy, I don't care that it's a chain. It's like the silliest, the silliest, <laughs> hook, one of the silliest hooks I've written. But people really, really rock with it. Yeah. People really rock with it. Asians, non-Asians, <laughs> they're like, this song is a bop. I know. Um, and uh, <laughs> I love that. I love that, that people vibe with that message. <laughs> and I really appreciate how you talked about the origin story of the song because I'm just like, ah, oh, no wonder why I love this song so much because this song is just so proudly Asians who don't belong. Yes. <laughs> so it's just like I can totally relate to the point when that um, well-meaning white person who told you that orange chicken or Panda Express is not real Chinese foods like here in Hong Kong whenever I tell people that I miss fake Chinese food they would always tell me why would you need that when you can get real Chinese foods in Asia I'm just like it's completely different it belongs in a very special and different place in our hearts for those who grew up in fake Asian food okay. but since you mentioned Panda Express I take that as the best orange chicken that you would find or you would recommend is Panda Express <laughs> <laughs> I think that's like my most comfort food it would be fun to go on a quest to find like what is the actual favorite yes. orange chicken dish? And that is something that I should put on my list for sure. That's a great idea. Um, I've never actually done that. And uh, I think I should do a little orange chicken tasting tour. Yeah. I mean, I would love to hear about what you found when you eventually make this happen. <laughs> I think it's because when I go to like a traditional Chinese restaurant, you know, or any sort of traditional Asian cuisine, I'm not going to order orange chicken. I'm going to order the <laughs> traditional dishes. I'm going to order like the, you know, the quote unquote real stuff, you know, because that's probably what I have the craving for. When I have the craving for the orange chicken, I'm just like, no, I'm going to go to a mall or I'm going to go to a, a drive through and get it from Panda Express. <laughs> so, like the go. booths that I'm in, you know? So, I get you. Um, but yeah, I will, I will, I will definitely 
uh, do that. I'll go back to you. Yes, <laughs> yes. I'll be curious to know. And as you mentioned earlier, your new album is coming very soon. So what can you tell us about it at this point? I mean, I got kind of like a private preview of that other than, you know, like embracing our own identities. There are also a lot of very positive messages, uh-huh. including even embracing our own body and messages related to body image. So what can you tell us about the new album that's on the way? Thank you. Um, yeah, I'm excited. I'm, I'm glad you found that experience to be a positive one. I think I definitely was writing uh, and creating this album from a really positive place and wanted to share that feeling. So the album is called Booty in the Brain. And uh, like I mentioned earlier, it's my debut full-length album. So it's going to have 10 tracks. Uh, it runs about a half hour long, um, like really solid like, size for for an album. Uh, I... I've always loved listening to albums in their completion. So I know that we're living in the age of playlists and algorithms feeding you your next song. And that's all well and good. But there is something so beautiful about an artist being like, this is an experience that I want you to have for like a solid half hour from beginning to end. And I've like painstakingly crafted which songs are going to come in which order, right? And, and, and that is something that's so, there's something so personal about that. You know, all my favorite music artists, uh, now, like they're, it's their albums that made me fall in love with them. Not like a, a not one song. So even just the, the opportunity to get to create an album is something that I'm so, so, so excited about. Okay. So why booty in the brain? Um, aside from it being really fun to say out loud, <laughs> um, Booty in the brain for me, I think, means there's like two layers to it. The first layer is, is the obvious one, which is like, and I'm maybe not not obvious for some people, just like it's about seeking out and finding love that has a connection, both physical and emotional and intellectual. Uh, so the best relationships that that i the relationship experiences that i've gotten to have have had those 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 elements um so finding someone that you have a connection with physically and emotionally intellectually and then the second layer is about finding love and finding confidence and how that kind of dovetails together Love and confidence, I think, are the two central themes to the album. If you listen, go back and listen to it. Every track on the album is is about either one or the other or both. And I think that's one of the the, the things that I feel in pop music. It can sometimes feel like a young person's game where it's like, you know, I go, I went to L.A. for like music networking events and literally like a lot of the other artists are like teenagers or like bar- just barely teenagers. Right. Um, which is cool. Uh, one of the things that I feel lucky getting to be in my thirties making this kind of music is I used to have a lot of perspective that I didn't have when I was in my twenties. And one of those big things is like confidence is so important when it comes to a love life. Being able to know yourself is really, there's a really, it turns out is a really, really important ingredient before being able to get into a supportive and healthy relationship with somebody else. And whether that confidence stems from 
how you feel about your body, how you feel about your career. And there are songs on the album that are very directly about both, right? So I've got a song called Man Booty, <laughs> which is about shaking your butt, you know? <laughs> Even if you're not the kind of traditional body type that popular media would tell you is like, oh, that's a booty shaking. You have a booty shaking body. You have you have you have permission and a license to go shake your booty. It's like, no, like everyone should have that permission or license, you know? Um and so that, that that's the place I wrote that, that song from. I have another song on the album called Dreams, and it's about um, being able to comfortably say out loud, like, I want to make great pop art. I That's something that I, I've been very shy at different points in my life to say out loud, um, you know, because I, 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 there's parts of, like, the Hollywood celebrity culture that I don't really find very appealing. But... The idea of making a piece of art that gets heard or seen and, and, and touches a lot of people is, is really, really motivating. Um, so that's kind of like the career and like artistic side of confidence. And then it's the body image side of confidence. So whatever it is, whatever elements that you are working on in your journey, and we're all on a journey, um, you know, no matter what your gender or, or race is, I think like one thing I've learned is like everyone is on an ongoing journey to keep on like enhancing and crafting and finding their own brand and flavor of confidence. Um, whatever journey you're on, you're on for that. It, it, it will really, really closely dovetail. I, I believe with like the journey that we get, we go on to find love. So love and, and confidence that is like the booty and brain. That's like the hidden, deeper hidden layer. I'm giving you like the cheat code to like understanding the album right now. Um, so yeah, that's 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 the album in a nutshell. I love it. And I completely agree with you. It's just like as you reach a certain age in life, the kind of insights or lived experience that you have had just really aid that creative process so much. Whether or not you're in music, you're in, let's say, podcasting or in any other art domains and in a way just like I've come to this point where I really envy musicians as well because it's like for myself I don't play any sort of musical instruments and there are some moments in life where I wish I could express how I'm currently feeling through music because there's so much emotion or feelings that cannot be completely expressed in words or in speech but maybe something in between musical notes so I really envy how talented musicians like yourself would have this domain to talk about these issues that you just mentioned in such a fun manner so overall is a very fun album but without further ado we'll play another song that is going to be included in the album for our listeners to get a feel of what Super Smack had just told us about so Let's go for that other song titled Cute. Don't you think I'm? 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 you in the lobby you were such a hot tattoos on your body then you started singing and your voice oh gosh it's not me all right all right all right double 
take double down, double back, hotel out. She, you got that baby, grinning, baby, how I want you now. You checking me out, they checking you out. You ain't checking them out, just checking me out. Hey, hey. And I'd be lying if I didn't mention second thoughts. Recent memories of breakups got me feeling raw. It was sweet though when you asked if you could sit with me. That led us somewhere, but I won't share the deep. It's like, song and um, I also know that you recently collaborated with some AAPI musicians on a song can you tell us more the album has 10 tracks and four of them are out right now and then the fifth one comes out uh, on September 13th so uh, that may be out depending on when you're listening to this episode Uh, and that fifth single is called I think I kind of like you and it's a collaboration that I got to do with uh, some really, really dope AAPI artists, including uh, AJ Raphael and Hollis, as well as my friends Alisco and Miko. Saw you from across the way, had me on my double take. I don't even know your name, but I want to get to know you. You were looking kind of cute, excuse me while I make a move. Yeah, we'd be the perfect two, think you'd be the perfect muse. Hey. Gladly take you on a date You got the booty and the brains You make me feel some kind of way I hope you never change, never change, babe excited because H.A. and Paulus are, are artists that I've respected and admired for a long time and it's just been a dream to work with them. Uh, what they've accomplished in their careers already, like literally millions of, of 
of listeners and tens of billions of streams on Spotify, not to mention just like the impact that they've had artistically in their careers is something that I really expect, uh, respect and admire. And the fact that we got to uh, all create a song together and that the song is now on, gonna be gonna be out as a single and then on this album. Uh, like my first album is just, it's just, it's so cool. Um, yeah, so I'm I'm, ex I'm excited about that that collaboration and uh, yeah, happy to talk more about that song uh, as well. I mean, just out of curiosity, how did that whole collaboration come about? Because obviously it involves a few musicians. There are quite a few parties involved. So how did you get that to happen? Yeah, um, so I think when, when people ask this, where when people ask uh, these types of questions, when I ask these types of questions for other artists, sometimes there's a really fun story which is like, oh, I was at this party and I ran into this person and we started singing karaoke together. And then after karaoke, we, you know, they took out their guitar and started strumming and then we just wrote this song on the spot. Um, I don't have like a really interesting, <laughs> like quir quirky um, anecdote about how the collaboration started. And I think that's actually... Uh, I'm actually excited about that because here's the secret for any aspiring creatives out there. If you want something, oftentimes the first step is to ask for it. <laughs> so I literally emailed AJ, <laughs> emailed Hollis. I was like, hi, I'm super smack. In some cases, like with AJ, we have like a mutual connection. He happened to know my sister. Um, so she was able to like make the introduction there. Um, but we had like never met in person. I was just like, hi. This is who I am. This is what I do. Here's links to my stuff. Here's a song that I started writing that I think you would sound amazing on. Here's the demo. Said. And it's just like, it worked. And it doesn't always work. There's a lot of people who I ask for, not just artist collaborations, but like grants that I apply for or shows that I apply to. Um, and I get a lot of people turning me down or not replying. And that is perfectly okay. In fact, that's a good thing. I think like the important thing is that if you want it, at, like at least ask or at least apply, like throw your hat into the ring. Um, I have this board on my my other wall where I just have a bunch of sticky notes and there's three columns for the sticky notes. And it's like things that I want to apply for or ask for, things that I, I have applied for. So like I've asked the question, um, and if they say no, it just stays in that column. And that's fine. That's still like a win that it, if it moves, you know, from the left column to the middle column, that's a, still a good thing. And then the right column is when people say yes. And we like actually make the thing. So like these collaborators that I have, I'll, every collaborator that I have on my album, whether it's Hollis or AJ or a producer, um, or a co-songwriter or something like that, they, they, they exist in that right hand column now, but they wouldn't have been in that right hand column if they hadn't gone in the other columns first. So like you gotta ask, um, and sometimes it's it's uh, I wouldn't say it's a simple process because um, it is it does take a lot to craft that message of like this is who I am, this is what I have to offer. Like, do you want to be a part of this? Uh, and you're gonna have to stomach a lot of rejection um, and a lot of like people ghosting on you. Um, but that's that's kind of the nature of the business, even though it's not simple or easy. 
sometimes like a direct <laughs> approach is actually best. Yeah, in a way, that's actually a much nicer story of how a collaboration came about. Then you know, like what you mentioned, one of those crazy stories where you bumped into someone. Because most of the time, this is how things happen. There's no glamorizing, just the courage to deal with that potential rejection and just try to do it. And since you are already like five plus years into this musical journey, I'm just wondering, you know, as an Asian artist, musician yourself, have you seen the opportunity for Asian artists changed or improved over times? Because, you know, before Crazy Rich Asian came into the picture, a lot of people still wouldn't be able to imagine Asians taking that center stage or taking on lead roles. But in the past couple of years, of course, with a lot of amazing work done by a lot of organizations, NGOs and communities to push for, let's say, AAPI representation, do you think the opportunity has improved? for creators like yourself? Yes and no. Uh, I think there's some very, very clear and obvious ways that that has improved. Just representation in general is good. You know, there used to be a time when there was just like very few Asian people in TV, film, pop music, and that is definitely changing. That's really, really cool. What I'd like to see next, which still has not, we're still working towards I mean, that's a good thing that we're working towards it is having folks who are Asian, API, anyone who's part of the diaspora, getting to be centered or to use the theatrical term, play the lead in a story that is not necessarily an Asian story, not necessarily an Asian specific story or an Asian specific product, you know, that is here is the Asian rom-com. Here is the Asian action movie that we're going to, you know, we, the big studio, are going to green light so that we can hit this new, exciting Asian audience demographic. <laughs> um, that's good. Those movies are dope. And they're, we should take those movies for granted, especially when they're as good and as ambitious uh, as some of the movies that we're starting to see, right? That's really cool. Like, we should. I'm I'm excited about those types of of movies, shows, music artists coming out, hitting the mainstream for sure. But it's always been, you know, maybe even going back to like, maybe it's because I grew up in a community where like there wasn't, like at least in school, there wasn't like there weren't enough Asians for there to be like an Asian table, you know, at lunch, right? You know, so I, my experience was always really integrated with people from all different types of backgrounds. So I'm really interested in the stories about where Asians exist as part of a wider community, you know, and th that's also kind of like a very, um, you know, maybe reflective of like, you know, my context being here in America. Right. Um, but that's, those are the types of things that I'm really interested in especially when when we can get to take a leading role in those types of stories exactly you know so bringing it back to to like that musical theater stuff right like we're starting to see there's a couple shows on on broadway in the last couple of years that are like asian shows that have created a whole bunch of new jobs and opportunities for actors and musicians and writers of asian background that's really cool like when are we going to see the Asian in, in, in the lead role of a non-Asian show. And for that to be totally normal, that people won't even 
bat an eye at it. That's what I'm that's what I'm excited about. That's definitely a goal to work towards to see works where Asian people are just seen as people and um, normalizing seeing that Asian experience or like habits on screen without people seeing it from a completely different lens as if it's something exotic. So that's definitely a dream for a lot of Asian creators that we have spoken with. And also I look forward to seeing more of that kind of works to be taking center stage in the entertainment industry very soon. I think that change happens uh, through creators and artists making it happen, right? I think like one of the most fun things about the weird career path that I've taken is um, getting to go back now. I've actually started acting again and going back into musical theater um, and actually just got cast in a musical production here in Arizona of Chicago, which is like one of the great modern classics of Broadway, right? It's like so many people's favorite show. It's just, it's like, and that is not an Asian show. And I got cast as Billy Flynn, who's one of the leading roles and was like the leading man role in that show, like played by Richard Gere in the movie, you know? Um, and so I don't think that happens without, at least for me, that doesn't happen without Super Smack. Um, and being on this journey of like writing and fight, getting free to create this own space where I am my own leading character in my own story. And then being able to then go into, walk into an audition with confidence and say, this is the role I'm going for. I think it could play this part really well. And then going in and giving, you know, delivering that audition and delivering on that experience as a performer in that show. Right. Um, and like a fun sidebars and actually credited going to be credited in the show as super smack so it'd be like billy flynn played by super smack um so i'm a big believer that like we shouldn't just sit around and like wait for that change to happen we should do whatever we can in whatever corner of our you know the, the world that we can operate in to actually like make that change happen so yeah I'm an optimist. Yeah, I mean, you are also one of the greatest examples for those young creatives out there who have a dream, who have a vision, you know, just go for it, live it until one day your dream comes true. So congratulations on your role for the upcoming musical. So oh, thank you. when is that playing? <laughs> September uh, 22nd, 23rd and 24th. Ooh. So if you're in the if you're in Arizona, in the Phoenix area, uh, come pull up. Um the information on where to get tickets and stuff is is all in my socials. Um, so you can you can find me there and come say hi after the show <laughs> and I'd love to talk to you. <laughs> it's gonna be a very exciting period for you. <laughs> oh yeah, it's a big couple months. Yes. <laughs> yes. Interviewing me at a at a fun time. <laughs> And now it's time for us to move on to the next segment, which is called Rapid Fires. And in this segment, I'll be asking my guests biased questions that they've got asked at some points in life. So, Super Smack, are you ready? Bias. <laughs> if I'm gonna have bias in my life, it better be rapid. We don't want we don't want this slow bias. I know. Let's go for it. <laughs> Speed and... it up. <laughs> <laughs> the first question: I don't date Asians. Oh, why not? You should try. <laughs> I've heard this a lot from people. Um, even Asians say this sometimes. <laughs> and uh, I think that's so unfortunate when people like take a whole category, also a category that happens to be like 
you know, close to half of the world's population and be like, I'm not going to date, you know, anyone from that. Um, yeah, I think if you're saying I don't date Asians, you probably have some uh, oversimplified, that'll, be, that'll put it nicely, oversimplified uh, and uh, wrong <laughs> assumptions about uh, uh, the Asians and who they are. And um, you should probably, should probably break that habit and, and, and give it a try. You'll probably find that there's a lot of... Uh, <laughs> Things that will challenge your assumptions. So exactly, if you don't date Asians, you should date Asians. <laughs> <laughs> and the second question is, ooh, this is the complete opposite, which is, I only date Asians. Oh, why? <laughs> I will also ask the same question of of you, a uh, hypothetical biased person. Why do you only date Asians? Um. <laughs> There's a word that that starts with F and rhymes with schmedish uh, that may be associated with what um, you are you are going through right now. Um, but yeah, I think if this is coming from someone who's who's uh, not Asian and they're saying they only date Asians, I think that also probably means that you have some oversimplified and and, and wrong <laughs> assumptions about Asians and and. Um, there may be some some problematic things to go 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 and question. Go talk to like, um, go talk to some some real friends who will who will <laughs> tell you what's up. Who can maybe guide you on on onto uh, uh, being more open minded. Um, and then the flip side is uh, sometimes you hear this from Asians too. Um, and if you live in Asia too, or if you live in like you know that's that's fine, that's cool. And if it's like a I don't know like a geographic thing or something about your your context, like that's fine. Um, but I don't know, from my background, because what I've, I've heard this in America growing up, which is, you know, we're, we're extremely multiracial country. Like we should, um, you know, whether it's dating or at least uh, or even any other kind of relationship, like, I think we should be comfortable being open-minded, like interacting with people of all races and backgrounds. It's like kind of yeah. like... If you're going to enjoy the quote unquote like benefits of like living in America, I think that's like one of the prices that like, that's like the price, that's like the price of admittance to like living in America. It's like, you should get along with people from, from all other races, you know? Yeah. It's like, yeah. it's not, it's not the hardest thing in the world. Yeah. I'm not saying you, you need to marry, you have to marry someone of X race or Y race or whatever, or that you can't, if you're an Asian who's dating other Asian or whatever like that's raw like no that's totally not what i'm trying to say but like if you're in this stage where you're like dating around and you're considering options right or if you're on an app and you're swiping on an app um maybe try and be more open-minded go back and <laughs> toggle those settings on your dating app so that you're not <laughs> only looking for for, for asians like consider some other options the world is a big place yeah exactly and this bias essentially also lumps all asians into one group expecting them to be all the same while within this whole like over 50 percent of the world's population like we asians also don't know much about asians who aren't from our own culture so we're just so diverse so different yeah, I don't think it's fair to lump everyone into just one label. Yeah. <laughs> Sidebar, I think like that, like on dating apps, like the fact that you can even oh, like yeah. toggle those things on and off, I think it's like, 
I think like we should question that, especially as someone who like used to work in like tech. Like, I think we should question whether like that is actually like a good feature to have. Like, as if like yeah. people are like, it's like you're shopping on Amazon. And you're like, no, I only want to like, you know, look at like products under twenty five dollars or something like that. Like, that's a, just like a weird filter yeah. to include. So it kind I don't of know. dehumanizes. Yeah, yeah. If you're a software engineer at a dating company, you know, maybe like. Go talk to your teammates about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you never know. Maybe algorithms are more biased than humans, or they definitely are. <laughs> <laughs> they they are probably equally as biased uh, because <laughs> algorithms are written by humans, and uh, that's true. Hum yeah. Humans are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But the next one on rapid bias. Half Asians are the hottest Asians. Ooh! Ouch! Ooh! I gave you some spicy ones for this. <laughs> uh, so this is like really specific, right? Uh, if you're maybe not uh, part of the community, maybe you'll be like, "What's the big deal with this?" Um, but like, I, I've, I've heard this at different points in my life, um, and so I will say first off, off the bat, half Asians can be very hot. That's great. Like I, I will not disagree with that. Um, but like I've also heard it taken to a really weird, it's like a really weird. This everything's a spectrum, right? And I've heard it being taken to like a really weird place, right? Where literally, if you're saying someone that someone said to me, half Asians are the hottest Asians, like this definitive fact. Um, there's a lot of stuff wrapped in there um, that can be like problematic, right? Like I get fetishization. Um, colorism, right? Uh, especially if you look at like historical context, stuff like the problem of, uh, and let's say in most cases that have the other half part would be white. Um, so I'm not talking about the other, you know, mixed race folks or anything like that, but like there's all every culture, you know, not just Asians, but other cultures like we, we, there's this weird phenomenon, troubling phenomenon, if you look at like history, of like the white, fair-skinned Western standard of beauty. And if you look at it historically, it's like really, it's really harmful and it's really pervasive. And I think we would like to think as a, a modern society that we're really like far beyond that now and matured beyond that. Like, no, like it's here in America, it's here in the, in the Philippines, if you look like who's on the billboards, it's like the people on the billboards, like do not look like the average person that you see on the streets in terms of like their skin tone, right? They're like Filipino, but they're like this like, like mestiza, like, you know, mixed and the more European features. And like, basically like the closer, like the more European features you have as a Filipino, that's like you, you're scoring more points on the spectrum towards so like what is considered, you know, attractive. Um, and that is just, that's, first off, it's wrong. Uh, second off, it's harmful um, and, you know, threatened. Like, it's just not, it's like a bad experience for people who don't get to benefit from from that necessarily. Mm -hmm. um, and it's wrong. I already said that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, you know, you can like what you like. You can have your tastes in everything. I'm the guy that wrote Orange Chicken, so I'm not trying to, to shame anyone for their personal preferences. Uh, but when you take it to like an extreme like that, where you're grouping entire categories of people, I think that's where it starts to get a little bit like 
uh, cringe yeah. uh, to, would be the nicest way to put it. So go, go and re-examine that Great. if you're the person that said affirmations are the hottest Asians. All right, moving on in the segment. The next question is, we care about diversity here. That's why we have white and black people. That is so nice that you care about diversity. I'm so happy for you and your organization. Um, I would love to hear about the opportunities that you're also uh, giving to Latin, Asian, East Asian, South Asian, <laughs> uh, Indigenous, Native American, Pacific Islander, uh, you know, because there's a whole lot more than just white and black on what comes to diversity um, that I think, at least in America, I've seen a lot of organizations uh, not really exhibit that awareness. Again, well, sometimes well-meaning, uh, but uh, yeah, open your mind a little more. <laughs> yeah, a lot of times it's kind of like a tick box exercise for them. It's like, what do you mean? We have a black person here. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not a great experience if you're doing that. It's not a great experience for that, for that one black person too, to be like, you're, yeah. you're like, Look, we're diverse. Like, that's not a good position for anyone. Yeah, or like as very Asian foundations, Michelle Lee told us for a lot of like TV newsrooms in the States, they would be like, okay, like we can't hire another Asian because we already have one Asian in the newsroom. <laughs> God like, forbid. God more forbid. Asians would get people confused. That's just so F up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, finally on this segment... You're not tall enough to play a lead role. Come see me in Chicago. <laughs> there you go. That's the perfect comeback. <laughs> this is what I'll say to you. I'll invite you. I will. I will come talk to you after the show and uh, <laughs> see what you thought. Because uh, I'm. I'll give a pretty good performance. I can promise you that. Um, yeah, I think that's 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 joking aside. Um, yeah, I think it's it's always good to like question some of these things. Why do we think the leading character has to be tall? Art and life are like a reflection of each other, right? Like one influences the other and the other influences one back. Like, is that how life is? Are all of the people in leadership roles in real life tall? Yeah. Uh, do they look a certain way? Should that be the case? No and no, right? So then like, why are we, why are we doing that when it comes to, to, to art, you know? Um, if you are, say, if you're hiding behind like, oh, like a commercial, like we, we want this because that's how people expect. Uh, I will say uh, that you are a coward uh, and you are not a true artist. And <laughs> if you're a true artist, uh, you should take a stand and um, be more open-minded in, in your casting, whether that's tall or skinny or European features. Um, anything that, you know, might traditionally be associated with, like, a stereotypical, like, leading character or the people that get to play, like, those, those kind of three-dimensional interesting roles. Uh, like, let's, let's, let's keep opening that up. I think it'll be a good, a good thing, and then we'll get back to the whole, like, art influencing and reflecting on life, which is the whole point of art to begin with. Exactly. If you don't want that, why are you making art? Go into, go into investment banking, make more money. <laughs> You know, like, get out of the entertainment business. Like, <laughs> if all you care about is making money, like, go into investment making. You know what I mean? Like, if you're in entertainment and art, like, let's make some art. 
<laughs> yes, yes, that's a very powerful statement to leave us with on this rapid bias segment. And now for us to close out the episode, I just have a couple more questions for you, Super Smack. I know for the coming months, it's going to be a very busy period for you with the musical and also with the album launch. So what's ahead for you? Are you going to go on a bit of a promotional tour after your album's release? Yes. Uh, <laughs> so I I have a lot of plans in the works in terms of like live performances and live events after the album is out um, that... Uh, I'll be really excited to announce when 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 the time is right and ready for that. Uh, I love, I'll say like this year, I haven't done many live performances because I, I did a lot of live shows last year and I was performing new song. I was performing unreleased songs from the album because that's what I wanted to share with people. And then people would be like, oh my God, like, I love that. I love that song. Where could I hear it? I'd be like, oh, I'm still working on it and recording on it. <laughs> uh, so um, that's what I'm, I'm like going back order of operations now and uh, getting the album out first. Once that's out, I'm going to have more more uh, to announce. Um, nice. I will. I will say that I'm excited for the album to to be out and to have kind of its life on its own because I've I've discovered some of my favorite albums. You know, even like years after the album came out. So. Um, as a body of work, I'm excited for that to exist. Um, and then after that's out, I'm also, I have a lot of plans to keep creating new work too, so I'm not going to stop. Um, the album is going to have a sequel. That sequel will probably have another sequel. Um, and I'm also going to be announcing some new projects soon that actually combine some of the pop music world with like the theatrical world. So that's the most I can share at this point, mm -hmm. but, uh, yeah, follow along, um, Super Smack on you know whatever your favorite platform is to keep in touch, uh, Instagram and um, TikTok and and YouTube and all that because uh, a lot of a lot of fun stuff that I'm very excited about and coming here. That sounds amazing. Yeah, so do follow along Super Smack's journey. We're gonna link his social media profile in the episode description as well. So before we go, just one last question for you, Super Smack. In your view, what does it mean to be proudly Filipino American to you? What being proudly Filipino American means to me is the joy and the confidence. To just go about, wake up each morning, go out into life and being like, I'm going to have a good freaking day today. And I think that's, it, it's like, so it's so simple. Um, but I think with all of the stuff in life that can get us down, like the audacity to just be like, I'm going to make this a good day today. I think that that takes a lot of of pride and confidence and self-acceptance being probably filipino american asian american american asian whoever you are um you know go out and and i i, I wish you a good day <laughs> and uh and i believe i believe in you that's all i'll say on that love it love it thank you so much for joining us on proudly asian super smack Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. We're going to leave you all with another song by Super Smack 
that's going to be in his upcoming album Booty and the Brain that's coming out on October 18th. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at proudly.asian and find us on YouTube for more exclusive content. We are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and wherever you listen to your podcasts. Leave us a five-star review if you like what we do. Thanks for tuning in and we will now once again let Super Smack take it away with Man Booty. Boys for boys, to the girls for boys, to all the gender role folks who be taking with dopey dudes like me, with the high knee. I'm glad mine not tiny. This one's for you, this bun's for you. Shaking what I got is what I'm gonna do. Nobody give a funk when you rock in the front. It's the backseat, packing the heat. It's the man booty, it's the man booty. Tell me what you want, it's the man booty. I'll supply if you're the man booty. For the proof cheeks, it's the man booty. It's the man booty, it's the man booty. Tell me what you want, it's the man booty. Turn around, they like who dad? Paintball boys, they know what to shoot at. Washed up bass, like I'm playing some bluegrass. Sorry, Steve Rogers, I'm America's new ass. Get your cakes out the oven. Words of wisdom coming in hot. Cause a man booty do what a man booty got. Yeah, man booty do what a man booty got. It's the man booty, it's the man booty. Tell me what you want, it's the man booty. I'll supply if you're the man booty. Bulletproof cheeks, you're the man booty. It's the man booty, it's the man booty. Tell me what you want, it's the man booty. I'm a grown-ass man, and my grown-ass gold, like a bold brass band. When we moving slow, she take me by the hand. I put a hand on my grown-ass ass, and I'm feeling kind of hot and bothered. Who knew I could be activated by an active lady? Four, three, two, one. I got airport cinnamon buns. It's the man booty. It's the man booty. Tell me what you want. It's the man booty. I'll supply if you're the man booty. Bulletproof cheeks, you're the man booty. It's the man booty. It's the man booty. Tell me what you want. Dudes like me with the high knee. I'm glad mine not tiny. 